Hello and welcome to the Gaming 5 edition of the FPL Scope podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matthias, and with me today I have Kevin, who is uh, pretty fed up with the international break, I'm sure, especially seeing as uh, it didn't go so well for Sweden. So uh, how excited are you to get back into FPL and Premier League and all European competition outside of the international games, finally? Yeah, I mean, this has just been a distraction from the real prize, which is club football. So for me, I'm very excited to see everything again, especially considering the disappointment of Sweden against Austria, especially considering the fact that we went into the game with good confidence. It's really frustrating. It seems like the concurrent co-current thing of my life right now suffering as an Evertonian suffering as a Swede um, Barcelona, okay Helsingborg, Jesus Christ um, so yeah we'll, we'll have to wait and see but very excited to get things going again yeah, it's not going so well for our Norwegian team either so uh, Norway did well but and uh, Wolverine are my favorite team and your now favorite Norwegian team as well not doing so well, but we're turning things around. So yeah, but FPL going slightly better, I guess. Like we've had decent starts to to the season, especially. I'm pretty happy with my season. Pretty happy with the team that I have as well, going forward. But we did talk about our scores last game week in the, the podcast a week ago. So if you want to check out what happened in game week four, you can check out that podcast from a week ago. But today we're going to do a little bit different in the intro. Usually we go through the scores, but seeing as we've done that already. We're going to, do, going to do something slightly different because I've been looking into some stats and stuff during the international break just to see if I could find some some info that is interesting. And this is actually one of the things that I've... It's, it's not really something that I discovered during the international break, but it's something that I've found really interesting and that I just want people's opinions about it. But these are basically the numbers of uh, Andrew Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold for Liverpool since they both joined. They pretty much joined Liverpool around the same time. 17-18 was sort of Arnold's breakthrough season and it was also Robertson's sort of breakthrough season with Liverpool. And from that point on, they've been fantastic as the fullback pairing for Liverpool, getting loads of assists and getting loads of chances created. But as you can see from the numbers here, in terms of expected assists, Robertson has about 33, or he has 33.6 expected assists these six seasons, while Trent Alexander-Arnold has 48.1. So there's a difference of about what, 14.5 expected assists here. But I want to ask you, how many assists do you think total these guys had throughout these six seasons? Like, how many did Robertson have and how many did Trent have? If you look at am these I meant to guess? Am I meant to guess total or total. am I meant to guess... Uh, to- okay. to- total number of assists for these six seasons. Uh, FPL assists... Uh, FPL assists or regular assists? These are just regular assists, but FPL assists is pretty similar, I think. I don't think it's that much of a difference either. I'd say Robertson. So low 40s? Yeah, so it's six seasons. So six assists per season would be 36 for yeah. like a reference point. I still think it's higher than that because I know there's seasons where they got like uh, 10 each. So mm. uh, I'd say high 30s, low 40s for Robertson. And I'd say mid 40s, even 50 plus for Trent. I might might be overly generous, but yeah, those are my guesses. 50 plus for Trent is actually not overly generous. That is actually kind of spot on, but... What's okay. kind of shocking is the fact that Robertson has pretty much the exact same 
Damn, okay. So, Robertson, from 33.6 expected assists, he has 53 assists over the last six seasons. And these are not FPL assists. This is, this is like, pure assists as well. He has even more, I think, FPL. I haven't checked, checked uh, or didn't double-check the numbers. But it's pretty much even, which is kind of interesting because both of these guys have outperformed their expected assists, which I guess is sort of, like, par for the course when you have really good delivery like people who are really good delivery but it's also kind of interesting that i i don't know i i just think it's a really interesting like discrepancy it, it might be just random maybe if you play these six seasons over again maybe trent is the one that actually has like a higher expected or differentiate differential between his assists and expected assists but i just think it's really interesting that robertson just keeps producing way more assists than expected assists while Trent has also done that, he's the past three seasons actually, the past three full seasons, he's like slightly underperformed his uh, expected assists. But I don't, I just think it's really interesting, and I, I don't know, what do you think this comes down to? Because obviously, my sort of idea about this is the fact that Trent and Robertson are completely different in terms of playstyle. Robertson is the left or the wing back to like bomb forward and be in the box and be right next to the action and stuff, while Trent is someone who just keeps putting passes in and keeps getting free kicks. I mean, Robertson has had some free kicks as well and, and corners and stuff, but mostly it's Trent who's been delivering like the long crosses and stuff. So do you think that plays into like, why do you think that this is a difference? Do you think it's just purely, it's not enough sample size or do you think it's a reason for this difference between these two guys? I think, um, funnily enough, I think Robertson's a bit more, if you think about some of the chances that he creates in comparison to Trent, it's way more thorough. I don't know how to... Like, I feel that Trent spams crosses, whilst Robertson's very precise when he does a cross, and that's why I think he gets way more assists. And obviously, in terms of play style, the one thing that isn't mentioned here is obviously goals. Trent scores more goals as well, as because he's more selfish in regards to that. And I think Robertson isn't, which sounds weird considering the fact that I'm saying that Trent spams crosses left and right which isn't the trait of a selfish player, but I think he is definitely trying to get on the stat sheet whilst Robertson is just playing his natural game. He's a douchebag, a massive douchebag, but I can't fault the quality. Yeah, because my thinking was kind of, I think it's faulty when I thought about it like logically, but my thinking was because, you know, expected goals, they don't count expected goals when you don't get a shot off. So I figured Robertson is more in those positions where the pass either goes to the player who has like an open goal and scores or the pass doesn't reach the player and it doesn't get a shot off and the expected numbers are not counted but that doesn't really make sense because he's outperforming his expected assists and when his passes are going to the player who scores he gets the expected assist numbers so so it doesn't really make sense that way either but i don't know it, maybe it's just down to the fact that trends like expected assists are more crosses like you said and Robertson are more passes to feet. So maybe it's just the fact that, that Liverpool are better at finishing with their feet than they are finishing with their head, maybe. So maybe it's just a Liverpool thing. But I think it's just interesting to see because Trippier is like a name that's getting talked about a lot now. And he's more the type of Trent Alexander-Arnold type of player who tends to do a lot of crosses, has a lot of free kicks and corners and stuff. Meanwhile, we have some other picks like Estupinian, Odogi and Matty Cash are more kind of Robertson type of players who bomb forward and kind of get into the box so I don't know maybe we can get something from this I don't know maybe the maybe the, our viewers will have some some interesting input on this as well if they think this will will sort of 
affects what happens with Trippier versus his Dominion, for example. Maybe maybe Trippier has, because Trippier has really good numbers, but maybe he needs better numbers to perform as well as someone like his Dominion to, to be like the exact same in terms of uh, producing points in FPL. So I don't know. I think it's just a really interesting difference. Maybe it's just random. Maybe we don't really know now because Robertson is going to play more as like a center back ish. He's not going to bomb forward as much going forward because of the system that Liverpool play. But, but yeah, I just think it, I think it was really interesting um, stuff that I just wanted to talk about on this podcast. But yeah. So what what do you how do you think about Trippier versus these other guys in terms of FPL going forward? Do you, do you value Trippier? Do you have any interest in Trippier going forward, or is he just like he's too expensive for basically the same that we get for cheaper with uh, Udogi, Estepinian, and and those guys? Yeah, I think is exactly that. I think the biggest issue with Trippier is he's been on a downward spiral. Uh, I, we spoke about this very early on last year as mm-hmm. well. Um, and why we were some of the first people to like just get rid of him because we were just like, yeah, it's not worth it anymore. Um, so for that reason, yeah, until he, he picks it up and I, I guess until Liv- uh, Newcastle pick it up in general, there's no point. And with the Champions League coming up and they're in the group of death as well, um, mm. it's going to be very interesting to see how they cope with it all. Hopefully, because Alexander Isak is Swedish, I hope... Uh, things kind of look better for them. But at the same time, um, this is make it or break it. You got to show what you got. And, you know, I don't think Newcastle fans are happy with how things have been going in the league as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Newcastle will do this season in general. Like, they've been pretty disappointing so far, but at the same time, they've had really tough matches. So who knows, really? They destroyed Aston Villa in the first game as well. you got to remember that because that was a like, huge performance. Aston Villa are a good team, but Newcastle are much better than the, than them. But now the last game, we game four, they kind of got pretty much just dominated by Brighton, which is interesting to see. Also, could say something about Brighton and how good they are. Maybe we've underrated Brighton as well this season. Like they always lose their best players, but they keep keep performing really well. So I think it's really interesting. But yeah, we have another kind of different thing for the next segment as well and this is something that i like to call talisman versus focal point because i've i've been talking about this for the last few weeks like i think it's kind of interesting to see like we usually look at fixtures and see like that's a good fixture and that's a bad fixture and we don't really go much deeper than that whether it's apart from maybe like this is a good offensive fixture and this is good defensive fixture but i think we sort of need to look at it in terms of what is a good fixture for certain types of players because my thinking has always been that's or like the, the reason that I went into these numbers and looked into this thing at all was the fact that I thought like people like Fernandez and Madison and SA and Odegaard, for example, the talisman that I that I like to call them. I think these guys will perform better when they are like the dominant team and they're in possession. They get a lot of chances they get a lot of free kick chances and stuff and they can really be involved in the in the point of play and on the other hand i feel like the focal points of attack like the players that are the most attacking and like are the better on the counter sort of players they will perform better or at least like comparatively when they have less possession and they can actually counter and stuff and looking at the numbers it actually looks pretty pretty good in terms of what i expected um so this is the i can just if you if you look at this uh, i don't know it's also sometimes hard to to really signify or what's a talisman and what's a focal point for example harry kane like he's sort of both uh, in a way uh but yeah i think it's just really interesting because in this table this is looking at their points per match in general and then their points per match when the possession in that game is less than 50 percent 
and then I look the final thing, which is this is ranked by, is how much better they did when they had less possession than 50% compared to what they usually do in terms of points per match. And what this table shows, at least, is that players like Martinelli and Son and Barnes perform better like than, than players like, for example, well, Jesus is also someone, he's not really a, a talisman either, uh, or a focal point, but like, I don't know, it feels like these counter-attack sort of players, Martinelli, Son, it sort of is a given that these guys are better when there's less possession, but I don't know. Is there anything interesting you can see from this uh, this table uh, in general, Kevin? Or am I onto something here, do you think? Do you think it's more viable in terms of... I think the best example we have currently is Sheffield United, which is a game that Spurs is expected to be dominant and like have the most possession be high up in the pitch. I've been making the argument that I think that favors Madison compared to Son and that Son is much better in a game against like a more high-pressing team like we saw against Burnley. I think that sort of... like makes Son better against the likes of Burnley, but then Madison is better against the likes of Sheffield United. I don't know. Is that something that seems plausible to you? Yeah, I mean, naturally, I think it's all it comes down to, you know, high block, low block, all these sort of things, and teams, how they decide to defend against some of the more dominant teams. And, of course, in that regards, it focuses on you know the attacking abilities of certain players or certain players being defended a certain way so yeah of course but the issue is then you thinking about this week in week out it's going to become such a headache um but i think it's definitely interesting in terms of this is a game where you should expect someone to perform better than the other so yeah definitely i think this is something that a lot of people might not take into consideration uh when they make their FPL decisions, they just go, ah, scored last week. Okay, let's get him. Yeah. Sterling, for example. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, or some this week, for example. Yeah. Um, one of the more impressive things that I noticed from the table is Odegaard. You know, he's yeah. just performs, performs either way. Yeah. Odegaard is basically a fixture proof. Like, he's always really good. He's also ha- has a really good record against the better teams as well, which is interesting. Scored now against Man United, for example. So, yeah, he's smack down in the middle of the table, though. And I think it's also kind of interesting that this table ended up being sort of like 50-50. As you can see, like the midpoint of the table, Erdogan, basically performs just as well in terms of the matches where they have high possession and the matches that they have low possession. Meanwhile, on the bottom of the table, you have guys like Madison Fernandes as a the talisman of their teams. They perform worse when they have less possession, at least last season. This is all numbers from last season, the full season. Um, but those guys, Fernandes, Madison, and Essay, perform worse when they have less than 50% possession. Meanwhile, someone like Tony, Martinelli, Hungmin Son, and Harvey Barnes, for example, uh, they perform better when they have less possession. It's also interesting to see, uh, also with, uh, with uh, speaking of Tony, we also have Mbuemo pretty high up in this list as well, in terms of Mbuemo has outperformed. Uh, he has 0. 047 or 0.47 more points per, per match when they have less than 50% possession. And I sort of think this speaks to the way that Brentford set up as well, because you can see both Mbuemo and Tony are pretty high up compared to someone like Crystal Palace, where they have both players really far down. So it, it tells you something about the teams and how they prefer to play as well. Like Brentford are a really good team against the better teams as well. At least last season, that maybe uh, goes into these numbers, the fact that Brentford had a lot of great results against the better teams. Uh, but I think that sort of just suits their style of play. Like, Brentford has still been really good this, this season as well in terms of playing against better teams. Like, we saw against Spurs, they, they got a lot of goals there as well. So, 
So yeah, I think it's interesting to see the teams, how it affects teams and how it affects players in terms of playing really good teams and playing really bad teams. Because usually it's the best team that has the most possession. So maybe that's a bit of a simple stat, just like looking at possession. But yeah, for example, Man City only had two matches where they had less than 50% possession <laughs> last uh, last season. And I think both those matches, because I, I, did, I did look at Holland and De Bruyne as well, but both those guys just had like 10 plus points in both games. <laughs> so it didn't, didn't really matter because City... City, I think that just that's basically down to City. The, the matches that City have less than 50% is probably in the matches where they score pretty early and uh, they play against a pretty good team. I think it was against Arsenal and Brighton uh, that they had the two fixtures where they had less than 50% possession. So, so, yeah, I think that's a bit of an outlier and I didn't really <clears throat> didn't really make sense to have just two matches of City in this table. But, yeah, either way, I don't know if uh, our viewers get anything from this either, but... I just think it's it's interesting numbers to look at, and, uh, and yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned from from this type of table and this type of thinking as well. Because yeah, I was talking about Brentford earlier. We have Embuemo and Tony performing better when they have less possession, but someone like Matthias Jensen, who is the one who takes all the set pieces and stuff, he performed worse when he had less possession. So again, it kind of points to the fact that maybe the talisman of their team needs to have or need to have really good fixtures. We've seen that with Abrechiese, who I mistakenly sold this game week when they've had Wolverhampton to play and yeah they had a favorable fixture where they were expected to be like the the best team in, in that game and SA performed which is kind of what you expect from SA and what you can expect from from Palace but yeah I think this is just something that I'm going to take into account when I look at future FPL decisions so, so yeah and especially this this game week as well with Son versus Madison I think personally Madison is going to do better than some, but at the same time, it's just one game, so anything can happen really. But yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting to, to look at these numbers as well. Um, yeah, next up we have the results predictions. We talked about this uh, last week, so I'm not going to get too far into the results from last week, also because we didn't really do that well <laughs> in terms of the predictions. <clears throat> you did perform slightly better than me though, so you even got an even bigger leads, but lead, but we'll. Look into the future instead and look for the predicted results for this upcoming game week, game week five. And first up, we have the match between Wolverhampton and Liverpool, and we both have pretty big wins for Liverpool. I have 4-1 for Liverpool away against Wolves, and you have 3-1 for Liverpool. Um, so yeah, is this a given? Are Liverpool just going to run through Wolverhampton, or is it something? Because Wolverhampton, I think, were pretty good def- uh, at home last season and not so good away, so maybe they're better at home, but I don't know. Do you have? Do you give any chance to Wolverhampton in this fixture at all against Liverpool? I don't. I simply think just because Liverpool have started pretty strong, um, they just want to keep it going. They got Thursday night football, so you know it's all system go in the Premier League. So I think they'll continue that and beat Wolves. Then, as a Evertonian, I'm kind of desperate that they do. Yeah. Uh, I think that's pretty pretty expected as well. I have 4-1. I think Liverpool will basically score a lot of goals. I'm hoping Salah gets a lot of goals because I've kept him all this time. So I'm ho- really hoping, hoping that he's going to repay. Well, he's been really good so far, but still waiting for that huge explosion of points from Salah as well. So hopefully that happens against Wolves. Next match is uh, Aston Villa against Crystal Palace. And we both have a two-goal margin victory for Aston Villa. Uh, you have 3-1, so... Why do you think Crystal Palace will score in this game? Do you think they have any chance to to nick the the win in total here? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, people seem to be sleeping on Edward as well. He's been in really good form, so I think either Edward or Eze will score against 
Aston Villa who've been quite leaky. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that's it. But I still think Aston Villa have the sort of quality to put them away and make sure that they get the win. So yeah, I still think that Aston Villa will win, but I think Crystal Palace have some players in good momentum to score. Yeah, I can see that happening as well. I have 2-0 for Aston Villa and you have 3-1 for Aston Villa, but yeah, I think it could go either way, but I think Aston Villa will, will win this match. It seems like Aston Villa are pretty good. You can attest to that as an Everton fan. They're, they seem pretty good against like the, the lesser teams in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, next up, we have uh, a disagreement. It's Fulham against Luton, and I just think Fulham are really bad. Like I, I know Luton are really bad as well, but yeah, I'm going with 1-1 in this match. I thought about going 0-0 because I don't really rate either of these teams offensively or defensively for that matter, but yeah. I think this will just be a boring like 1-1 the really non-consequential FPL result at all. Like I think it's just going to be two like random goal scorers and that's it. Maybe Carlton Morris scores a goal and gets a lot of people on the bandwagon before the double game week. But yeah, you have 2-0 for Fulham. Uh, what, who do you expect to score the goals for Fulham? Like, what have you seen from Fulham so far that, that makes you think they'll, they'll beat Luton? Or what have you seen from Luton that makes you think they'll lose to Fulham, rather? I mean, I think... Bern Leno's in fantastic form right now. Uh, I think that's going to be the saving grace for Fulham. I also just think that Fulham are due uh, like a feel-good win. You know, of course, the Everton, uh, the win against Everton was a feel-good win in that regard because they definitely didn't deserve that. But I think it's about time that something happens at Craven Cottage that makes them feel good. And if there's any team that they're going to do it against, it's Luton. So that's the only reason I actually had a 1-1 draw written before I sent it to you, but I was yeah. just like, you know what? Because just because I don't like yourself, I just don't rate either team. So I was just like, you know what? Go with the home team. <sighs> Go much. with the home team yeah. in, in this regard. So maybe Luton will beat them at home in the reverse fixture because both teams suck. Yeah. And going with the home team is something that you've done with uh, Man United playing against Brighton at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've gone the other other way. Maybe it's just out of hope because I really have a lot <laughs> in terms of FPL. I really hope Brighton win this game, both because I'm I'm I've been a huge backer of Estepinian in terms of keeping him, not benching him ever, starting him every game. So I'm hoping they can finally get a clean sheet now against Man United. But I know Brighton it could go any way because or either way because Brighton are a really good team, but at the same time they can also concede a lot of goals. Like they've been really leaky. Uh, but yeah, I just think it might just be one of these same games that they had against Newcastle where they just looked like the better team in general. Uh, I know it's away from home, but still, uh, I think Brighton are just in a better like moment in time now than Man United. So that's why I've gone with 2-0 for Brighton away against Man United. But you've gone with the home win, 2-1 for Man United. So are you certain about this? Do you feel like you're pretty confident about Man United winning? Do you think Brighton have any chance of winning, or do you think it's more likely a draw, or what do you th- think about this match in general? I mean, I, I it's really tough, considering the fact that Man United do not deserve me. Uh, well, that's a bit dramatic, but uh, they don't deserve you know, getting the credit that I, I think they'll get her across the line. However, Bruno Fernandes has looked great for Portugal, you know, he's very much main character syndrome. Whenever things like that happens to him, he tends to take it on stride and just do incredible things. And I think United fans, United as a club and as a team, will feel hard done by with the Arsenal result that, you know, 
they were just offside. They probably should have gotten a penalty for Rasmus Hyland and all this type of thing. So there's a lot going against them currently. And of course, with the Brighton loss back in the day and also losing twice to Brighton last season, it's going to play a lot in their minds and they're definitely going to go into this game trying to win it. So I think there's a lot more riding for Brighton considering the fact that they are in such good form. However, I think United have to sort of show some face and yeah. get the win. So that's why I think they'll just about edge out a win. Uh, I would, I would, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be surprised if Brighton uh, end up winning it either. But I don't think it's going to end in a draw, as simple as that. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting game and I'm going to watch that. I'm go- definitely going to watch West Ham at the same time because, yeah, I'm a West Ham fan, fan, obviously. They play Man City, which is a huge game. Uh, it's basically the Super Cup between the Conference League champions and the and the Champions League champions. But we'll get to that game later. But I think I'll have Man United Brighton on at the same time as well. I'm going to watch both games. And, uh, and yeah, I think it's going to be really fun to, to watch. But before we get to West Ham Man City, like a, a big top game we get, we have Spurs against Sheffield United. And we both have pretty much the same idea here. 3-0 for Spurs. Easy win. We usually have Sheffield United losing and not scoring a goal. But Sheffield United, to their credit, have scored goals in pretty much every game so far. Um, so so yeah, are you? What do you think about the clean sheet chances for Spurs? We have both have three and L here for Spurs, but can you see Sheffield United scoring? Yeah, and it will be uh, FPL player on my bench doing so because it's going to be Cameron Archer. Because <laughs> I like I like them at Villa. I like mm-hmm. what I've seen of them at Sheffield United. So far. well, I didn't like what I saw. <laughs> yeah, um, scoring against Everton. Yeah. But but he is a quality player, and yeah. I think a really good purchase. And it's a shame. That he's he's doomed himself to the championship by going to the Sheffield, but um, in regards to that, I think they're not very good away from home, so that's why I think Spurs will finally have a pretty dominant win and mm-hmm. seal the deal. I mean, and just said some fun things uh, across the line. Um, I'm really sad about Richarlison like up going like I need professional help and all this type of stuff to get myself into the groove again so hopefully he can nick a final winning goal or, or you know like a con- not a consolation goal but rather just the dagger with the 3-0 goal or something like that so that's why I think Spurs are going to ride a hide and get that clean shit and Adogi is just that guy currently and Pedropor I think it's yeah. actually really difficult to pick between the two because Pedropor likes to shoot more than Adogi does so um, yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game, uh, and I think people who have gone without Spurs asset for this long, this is going to be the game that costs you dearly. Yeah, I think Pedroporo would be someone that I'm interested in as well if he was more nailed. Like we we know that Emerson Real is just never letting go of playing as a right back for Spurs. Like he always finds a, finds a way to to play there. Meanwhile, Udogi doesn't really have any competition for places with Regulon going to Man United and Ben Davis being. Ben Davis really <laughs> so mm-hmm. so yeah I, I think Idogi is the better pick out of those, those two but Pedro Porro if you can get him at the right time he is a really good pick as well maybe doubling up as well if you don't have both Son and Madison that, that is uh, is potentially an option as well but yeah I think Spurs will, will beat Sheffield United pretty easily but then we have the big highlight game of the, the weekend the the two best teams in the league currently <laughs> almost West Ham are fourth or something now I think but, but still West Ham were top of the league uh, last Friday or two Fridays ago I guess uh, and they did win the UEFA Conference Conference League last season, and City won the Champions League. So 
we got the Super Cup between City and Sevilla, the Europa League winners, but now we get the proper Super Cup, or the like, smaller Super Cup, I guess, between West Ham and Man City. But once again, I'm backing against West Ham because that has worked for me this whole season. West Ham have outperformed my predictions, and yeah, once again, especially this week, playing against Man City, I, I'm going to go with the Man City win. I probably would, would do that if even if it wasn't for the jinxing thing. Uh, but yeah, I have 2-0 for Man City. I think they'll keep the clean sheets. Maybe. Now that I'm saying it, probably not thinking that. Maybe I'm leaning more towards your guess of 2-1. But, but yeah, who could you see scoring for, for West Ham? And, uh, and yeah, 2-1, do you think there's a chance that West Ham might once again sort of shock the world? No. No? <laughs> no, I just, just because City are in such a good groove of things. Um, you know, a lot of people would have thought that they'd have champions fatigue but they've shown that under pep it's a regime you you uh eat sleep when the premier league repeats so yeah uh, i i i don't have as much faith as i've actually shown out of the two of us i'm the one who hasn't been countering them i've just had real belief uh no i'm just kidding uh so for me personally i think this is the one where uh city gets the win Regardless, I mean, I could see a draw, but I don't see uh, a West Ham win, unfortunately. Um, and I think that the future Liverpool right winger Jared Bowen will be scoring the goal. Yeah. Um, no, he's going to stay with West Ham forever. I hope. Surely. I hate uh, Liverpool. So. <laughs> we'll see. Liverpool actually been like interested in Bowen since before like he had his breakout season for West Ham as well. Yeah. So credit to them for that because Bowen is a fantastic player. Uh, but yeah, next up we have Newcastle against Brentford. I've gone with two two. I just I'm really impressed with Brentford this season. Just have a lot of faith in them. I I do kind of like Newcastle still as a team, even though they've not been performing as well against the better teams. But, but yeah, I think two two. It might be we both have pretty high scoring games. I have two two, and you have three two for Newcastle. Even though Newcastle have still have even against the better teams, they have pretty good like in terms of underlying stats in terms of defensively. Expected goals conceded, they're pretty pretty low on that as well still. But they always seem to concede goals, and Brentford always seem to score goals. So, so yeah, I think 2-2 is, is a decent result here. But it, it is Newcastle at St. James' Park. So you're going with 3-2 for Newcastle. Uh, pretty even game, but, but yeah, how do you see this game uh, happening, really, or panning out? I think something's got to give for Newcastle. Like you said, they've had tough games, and... I did no discredit to Brentford, but Brentford have been pretty inconsistent in their play too, especially with the random draw that they got to Bournemouth at home. So I think Newcastle have to try and edge this before the Champions League game. And what better way to go into the group of death with a win from the weekend? So yeah, I think they're going to just about edge it out. And Bueno's going to score a brace. I'm going to be happy. So yeah, Anissa can get the winner. Sure. Fair enough. It's hard to get a winner when you get subbed off after sixty minutes, though. But maybe, maybe this shut time, maybe this time it's will shut. Maybe shut Wilson up. is starting this time and Isak comes on to score. I love Isak. You know how much I love Isak, but he That's keeps getting, he keeps getting subbed off because of Eddie Howe being <laughs> weird. I don't know. But yeah, maybe he can score as a guy off the bench, or maybe he can score the winner before sixty as well. Who knows? But yeah. Next match, we have Bournemouth against Chelsea. And uh, yeah, Chelsea have a pretty abysmal record for the last like 20 Premier League games. I think they have like two wins or something in the last 20 Premier League games. 
And one of those wins were, was against Luton this year, but the other win was against Bournemouth last season. They beat Bournemouth 3-1, and that's the same result that I gone with. I think they beat them 3-1, I'm pretty sure. And that's the same result that I gone with this time around. 3-1 for Chelsea. I think Chelsea will, will bounce back again, because everyone seems to be like so down on Chelsea after they lost, lost against Nottingham Forest, which, to be fair, I, I guess it makes sense, because Nick Jackson as well missed a big chance. People are pretty down on him. Uh, but yeah, I think against Bournemouth, this is usually the game where Sterling scores. I'm going to keep Sterling this week, hoping that he scores, and I think he will. Uh, and I'm guessing 3-1 for Chelsea, because I think Bournemouth are just kind of there for the taking currently. They, they're conceding a lot of chances, and uh, and yeah, I think Chelsea are just a better team in terms of quality than, than Bournemouth at the moment, with Bournemouth still waiting for players getting back into full fitness and players getting acclimatized after joining them and stuff. Uh, you have 2-1 for Chelsea, so do you think Bournemouth has a chance in this game, or do you think it's the same as West Ham against Man City, that it's just going to be a pretty easy win for Chelsea, it's just not going to be like a blowout? Yeah, I think it's that. I think, for me, it, it feels like one of those sort of games where Chelsea are 2-0 up, and then all of a sudden, Chelsea will concede. So, yeah, that's how I view it. And Solanke being the one who obviously loves scoring against his former clubs and stuff like that, or getting some sort of involvement. So, yeah, I, I think Chelsea are going to edge it out. Out of all the big teams, Chelsea are the ones that are the least to surprise me with the loss in that regards. So, but I think there's a little bit more pressure on Poch after the random ass loss to Nottingham Forest. I mean, of course, he conceded to a great Swede in Nalanga, but uh, yeah, no one could have figured that being the result beforehand. So, yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I think it's, yeah, like you said, it's going to be a fun game. I think Chelsea will, will pull it out. And then we have everything against Arsenal. And uh, yeah, I've said that I've backed against West Ham and it has sort of been a jinx because they've beaten, like they've, I've not gotten a single result right for West Ham because they keep outperforming my expectations. But Everton, you are kind of doing the opposite. You always expect them to win and then they lose. And once again, you expect them to win, this time against Arsenal. 2-1 against Arsenal you have. What do you have to say for yourself? Is it just purely this is the same result as last year? Everton has like an edge over Arsenal? Is that why? Do you think, like, well, what? how are you possibly going with Everton beating Arsenal? Let me put it this way. Everton in the last five against Arsenal at Goodison Park have not lost. It's four wins and one draw. If Dyche fucks that up, sorry for cursing, <laughs> Dyche out. Okay, fair enough. Tough task. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a simple win for no. Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can, I can explain myself a bit further. Okay. I, I think this is genuinely, like with anything, a boiling point, which is a real shame that it's like the boiling point should have been losing to Fulham at home, you know. But mm. we lost to Fulham. We lost to, um can't even think, uh, Aston Villa screwed up against Sheffield like there's just so many stupid lost results Wolves. yeah I lost yeah I lost to Wolves at home when we could have easily won that game as well you should have been Fulham won. and Wolves especially. yeah all these type of things I think it just feels like this was if I'm not mistaken wasn't Dice first came the game against yeah. Arsenal I yeah. Have, yeah so um McNeil to Tchaikovsky yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah and now that McNeil seems to be fit and you know all this type of things and Beto looks so good 
it wouldn't surprise me if this is how Beta gets his first Premier League goal and win. So, uh, yeah, I'm expecting... I'm not expecting a win, <laughs> but I'm I expecting can a see good game. a win. Yeah. I'm expecting a good game, and I expect yeah. that Everton showed their true colors, even if that results in a loss. I want it to be a good loss. None of the losses we... Oh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, the... the Fulham one and the uh, one. you have looked good, but one. it's just... yeah, we've looked good, but it's something's been missing, and yeah. I think that something might have been the fact that Danjuma was a bit in miffed, McNeil mm-hmm. was miffed, and the lack of Calvert Lewin, who's you know either dead or alive, you you never know until kickoff. So him and Beta together could be very interesting, and that's why I think we might be able to do something. And also because there's news that Sack is playing through injury. And if that's mm. the case, best believe Tarkowski's going to break his legs. <laughs> Maybe. Or Pick- Pickford. We've seen Pickford in the past as well uh, destroy some careers. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, to be fair to Everton, I think Everton are going to be fine this season. I don't think you're going to go down. I think you have just nope. too much quality. You've shown already in, the, in these games, you should have had way more points so far. Uh, Fulham have don't, don't Fulham have six points and you have zero? I think it should be the other way around. Uh, really, at one point. Yeah. Sorry, you you drew against Sheffield United. Uh, <laughs> I'd be remiss to, to not huge, remember that. Huge, but, but yeah, I think everything will, will be fine. Like we're gonna look yeah. at the expected numbers. The first four game weeks um, pretty soon as well. And and Everton have done decently. Uh, so, so yeah, I think everything will be fine. I just don't think this is the game week to start it because I think Arsenal riding off the high, especially from beating Man United in injury time. I think they're going to push on and, and finally look like a proper team again now. So, so yeah, I'm guessing 2-0 two, mm-hmm. two for Arsenal. But I wouldn't be too surprised if Everton can get a, get a result there either. But yeah, final game, kind of the most boring game as well. <laughs> Saving the, the worst for last, I guess. Nottingham Forest at home against Burnley. It is kind of interesting in terms of before the season, we sort of expected Burnley to be like a fun, interesting team that could get a result somewhere. And so far, they haven't really been that. They've been pretty poor. They had some tough matches, to be fair, but they've also looked pretty susceptible to concede a lot of goals. And Nottingham Forest, on the other hand, have looked kind of more solid than we expected them to be. And they've been getting results and stuff, and, and nearly getting a result against Man United as well. So we've both gone with the same result here, 2-1 for Nottingham Forest. So how do you see this game? Do you think Burnley has a chance? Is this finally the, the game Burnley can, can break through? Or do you think it's just companies sort of out of his depth in the Premier League. What do you think of Burnley in general in terms of the Premier League and their chances of staying up? Not very good. Uh, I think, mm-hmm. I don't even think it's companies out of depth. It's just, you know, being the best in the championship doesn't mean that it's going to be automatic success in the Prem. And like, yes, of course, Fulham uh, were a good example of that. In, or sorry, a bad example of that because they did well to get through in the playoffs and then absolutely had a wonderful first season but um but even then they sort of fell under estimations in the sense that some people were thinking they'd finish higher than they did um so yeah uh, it's, it's a shame i think um there's also the lack of certain players being there from you know like mats and, and all these type of stuff um I, i'm really stupid if i don't know this but nathan tell is not there anymore either right so two of their biggest reasons why they did so well last year so um (laughs) which is crazy considering the fact that chelsea tried to sell matson to burnley and he turned burnley down so uh 
yeah, uh, they're a proper sinking ship. I don't have any belief in them uh, for the season. Things could change maybe with a manager change or with some cash injection in January, but like, no. I, sadly, I just think Burnley don't have the necessary steps to be a uh, Premier League team next season. And I'm, but this is the game where they need to sort of show yeah. signs of life. So it wouldn't surprise me if they did, because again, Nottingham Forest are really inconsistent. Like they'll absolutely win against Chelsea and score against United and all this type of stuff, but uh, still screw it up somehow. So I don't know. I still think um, they're going to win though. I just don't think they're going to do it so convincingly. We say after it ends 5 nil, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think we'll see uh, Nottingham Forest 5-0 win at any time, really, in the Premier League. But, but yeah, I think it's simply just down to backing the home team, really, in the, in this game. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I've gone with Nottingham Forest, personally. And from an FPL perspective, some of us, at least, will have... Uh, you don't have him anymore, because you wildcarded last week. But yeah. some of us will have uh, Matt Turner in goal, potentially. So that will be, like, interesting to see. If he starts at all, that's the th- first thing, because there are yeah. news that... Uh, I can't even pronounce his name. Odysseus something uh the yeah. for the former number one goalkeeper for benfica there are reports that he's going to be the starting goalkeeper now uh, at least at some point um so yeah at first it's going to be interesting to see which goalkeeper is starting this game and if it is turner it's going to be interesting to see if he keeps his clean sheet but we have we both have nottingham forest conceding because i think burnley they've scored pretty much every game so far they didn't score against city but they've been like pretty potent offensively and live foster as well yeah. as someone that hasn't been talked about enough when it comes to the double game week I know they have Newcastle in one of those double game week fixtures, and that's why people are looking at Luton instead because they have Everton rather than Newcastle. But uh, I think Foster has looked really good so far, and he's like one of the the players that I've really taken a liking to so far. But, but yeah, uh, that that's it for the predicted results. Now let's get into more FPL stuff and the future more than just game week five. We're going to look beyond game week five as well on the fixture ticker. And like I said, we have some numbers, the expected goal numbers and expected goal considered numbers for, from the first four game weeks. Uh, there is also an asterisk next to the names of Burnley and Luton here, or next to the numbers of Burnley and Luton, and that's because they haven't played four games. So just to make it more even numbers or like comparable numbers, I did like the average goals, expected goals and the average expected goals conceded uh, per game and just added it to the total. So they have pretty much four uh, games, sort of in there and, uh, and yeah Burnley's numbers are not too good and Luton's Burnley's offensive numbers are not too good and Luton's defensive numbers are not too good because they're both in the bottom three for those numbers um, but yeah before we get to the numbers though we have to talk about the double game week because that's like the big standoff thing here double game week seven we have Luton who are now top of the whole fixture checker because they have that double game week on top of having some really good fixtures in game week five and six um, are there any Luton players at all that are of interest to you or are you just completely disregarding them Totally. I mean, obviously, it's a Kabore. I really liked what I saw of him last year. Um, <laughs> Luton suck. Yeah, I'm sorry. He was, he was Ben's um, last game as well. Exactly. So, um, Morris, interesting. I liked what I've seen of him. Showed mm-hmm. a lot of grit and determination, and why a lot of people picked uh, picked him in. Uh, sort of their earliest drafts and all this type of stuff, even though they were just kidding themselves. Uh, I like the look of him, but other than that, they're, to me, like the 
complete jumbo. So as we say in Scandinavian languages, you know, they're they're the darlings to get relegated and all this type of stuff. I would avoid. I don't care that they have a double game week, especially considering the fact that it's against two teams that are in the relegation scrap with them currently anyways. Um, so yeah, avoid. Avoid defensive players at the very least. Carlton Morris definitely uh, keep an eye out for. Yeah, I'm sitting on Isakobori myself, and I feel pretty good about having him. I, I wouldn't add him if I didn't have him. Or probably, I, we'll get to another Luton player when we come to the wildcard team. But uh, but yeah, I'm pretty happy with having Kabori, and I can see if he starts in Game Week 5 and Game Week 6. If he starts in both those games, I'll feel pretty confident that he'll start in both games in Game Week 7 as well. And then I'll probably start him just because they have two really easy fixtures. And yeah, I'll just look at him compared to the other defenders that I have, I guess. But... Yeah, that's what I'm thinking as well. Carlton Morris, maybe, but at the same time, they have to show something in Game 5 and Game 6 for me to buy him in Game 7. I'm not going to buy anyone before Game 7, I think, from, from Luton or Burnley for that matter, uh, unless they show something in these next two game weeks. So, so yeah, they'll kind of get their audition now. Luton against Fulham and Wolverhampton, two really easy matches. If they look decent in those games, finally we'll see them against some, some worse op- or some easier opponents. If they do look good in those two games, then maybe I'll consider them for Game Week 7. But other than that, I'm just going to keep Kabore and potentially start him in Game Week 7. Um, but yeah, when it comes to Burnley, their fixtures are just not good enough. So I don't really think I'll consider any of them. Maybe Foster, if he keeps looking good and I need to downgrade Alvarez, for example. Uh, but yeah, I wouldn't really yeah, I wouldn't really go with Burnley players either because they haven't shown anything really so far either. Uh, the other interesting thing about this fixture ticker now is Newcastle, because they've gone from pretty far down at the start of the season to pretty high up now. They're like second best. It's only because of the Luton double game fixture, I think, that they are like uh, clearly number one. But Newcastle, are there any players we briefly touched on uh, Trippier at the start of this uh, podcast? But are there any Newcastle players at all that are of interest to you? Like which players stand out if that's the case? Yeah, um, for me... On the defense, just think Tonali, Harvey Barnes, and uh, Isak or Wilson if Wilson uh, stops coming from off the bench. If Wilson ends up becoming the starter, then he's always an exciting prospect. Anthony Barnes, Gordon? Yes, definitely Anthony Gordon. He's as well, starting now over Gordon, Barnes. Yeah, which I think is it's a strange one, right? Uh, I think both should be playing. But it's really weird considering they're both in the same position. So tough one. But I think Barnes, this might sound like I'm just hating on him because he left Everton. But I do think Barnes is better than Gordon. But Gordon, like if you watch the Newcastle uh, show on Netflix or Amazon, there's so much belief from Newcastle with Anthony Gordon. Like they think he's going to be the next big thing and all this type of stuff. And fair enough. He definitely has the talent and quality, but I think Barnes is just criminally underrated. I mean, when we were doing the podcast last year, mm-hmm. I said he outscored Madison and all this type of stuff. And just because he's just really good at shooting. Like it's, yeah. it's fun to have more of these wingers who like to be consistent. I think Harvey Barnes is a very consistent uh, player so I think he's definitely on the look I think Denali is finally getting to play with some freedom compared to his Milan days I mentioned this in the past and I still think that's the case I think he's very interesting especially with this price point he might be a very easy way for you to then double up with him and Isak and all this type of stuff because I think 
he's stuck in these run of games is the type of things where he hits his purple patch and starts scoring every game. So, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you mentioned a lot of offensive players from Newcastle, but no defenders. Are you not interested in both? I don't trust them. I I don't trust them at all. I don't trust them defensively. If you look at the expected goal conceded, they have decent numbers, even though they had really tough opposition so far. I just think they're just going to concede. Like, I don't know. Maybe hope. Maybe they'll iron it out. But I think defensively is where they're the weakest. So that's why I, I once Livermento probably prob- like probably is not the word uh, I'm looking for potentially. once he po- potentially starts playing yeah um, tongue twister uh, I think maybe things will shore up but I don't know man I, I just don't like what I've seen of them defensively that's why I recommend the um, other guys and like yeah there's three good uh, home games there. Um, yeah, they have really good, good fixtures, especially those Sheffield United, Burnley, and uh, Crystal Palace, who don't really perform that well offensively. But yeah, a case but I, there. But I still think that. Um, I mean, if you're going to go for anyone, go for Botman. But I just, okay. I think they're a bit overpriced, and I also think that they've been playing a little bit too kamikaze football in the sense that I don't think they. I mean, obviously, they probably do care about clean sheets, but in the sense that nothing has shown that sort of sign of life like they had in the past. So, yeah, just go for it, I guess. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Botman versus uh, Shar versus Trippier, but you picked it for me. So we can talk more about Newcastle as well, especially defensively next game, because I think the game is Brentford. We both had Brentford scoring two goals, so... We don't really expect anything defensively in that game. But after that, I think there's something yeah. to be said about defensive Newcastle players. So maybe next week's podcast, we'll talk more about Trippier and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to see them play against uh, Brentford as well and see if they look any better now after international break. And also to see what they do, do in the Champions League as well. That's going to be interesting. I don't know if they play on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, but yeah, we'll get to that eventually. Um, yeah, we also have uh, Man United and Chelsea who are kind of... Earlier, they were pretty popular teams in, around Game Week 2, Game Week 3. And now, after Game Week 4, people are kind of cooling off on them. But they still have good fixtures. So so how do you feel about holding players like Bruno Fernandes, Rashford, um, Jackson, Sterling? Do you think those guys are still viable because they have good fixtures? Or are you kind of out on these teams? Or do you have faith in those teams still? I, I mean, I've said I was impressed with how Poch has reinvigorated uh sterling i think sterling's been super unlucky not to get more points in since the start of the season so i've got all faith in chelsea to sort of fix things and i think that's one going to be one of the main reasons why i'm going to keep them it would have been a different scenario if the aston villa and arsenal game were away matches then i'd be like "Eh, that's that's not great because they're both home as well in both games. I think, yeah, I think Sterling might be a keeper for a bit. Chilwell, left winger, um, Neymar, you know, just <laughs> absolutely bombing it down the left wing. So, yeah, um, I think I'm going to stick with Chelsea and I think Chelsea's sort of form will change. You just look at their XG as well and their XGC as well. It's, it's not bad. It's not bad numbers, and I think they've been 
kind of lucky as well. Uh, it seems like the the Sanka household hold, you know, supporting the blue <laughs> teams have been pretty unlucky this year. Yeah. And then finally, on the other end of the fixture ticker, we have teams like Arsenal and Brighton, who are really popular teams with a lot of players that people own in FPL. But they have really tough fixtures. And especially Arsenal, I think it's interesting because they have uh, decent away fixtures, but they have tough home fixtures. And that's sort of why uh, we'll get to the weekly walker draft next. That's sort of why I had to drop Saka from the weekly walker draft, actually, because he's at least last season and I think just through his career as well he's been pretty poor away from home so seeing as he has his easier fixtures away from home and then tougher fixtures at home I'm not so sure about Saka going forward I still have him in my team I'm don't looking, not looking to sell in this game week personally but are we do we need to consider potentially selling Saka at some point because there are so many good midfielders yeah uh, definitely I mean for me, it's one of the ways that I can look into getting uh, Son or Madison, you know, mm-hmm. easy swap. And considering the fact the Spurs have easier matches going forward, yeah, it seems like the more sensible thing to do. Or shoring up money to get a Newcastle and, you know, an extra Chelsea or, you know, whatever. It gives you more flexibility to change towards teams that have more favorable games. Arsenal have crumbled under the pressure in some of these big matches, especially against City. Uh, City, they're, they're whipping boys in that regards. But Spurs, they tend to usually beat at the Emirates. So uh, I would I would say just hold with soccer for the time being. But if for whatever reason he's not playing against Everton, sell, 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 sell. Yeah. I think Sako for me is pretty easy to just hold him for these next three game weeks. And then going to be eight. He seems like a pretty easy selling point to get Son in. Because I think the next three fixtures, it's pretty even between between him and Son in terms of fixtures. But then when you look at game week eight and game week nine, Arsenal have two tough fixtures on paper at least. Uh, Chelsea, we don't really know how good they are going to be. But two, two tough fixtures on paper. And Spurs have two fantastic, probably the two best fixtures you can ask for. So I think that's like a pretty easy point to, to get potentially both Madison and Son if, if you don't have them already because they're going to be really popular now but especially game of eight, game of nine I feel like that's the week to jump off of Saka and potentially get a Son especially if you're wildcarding as well like you can, can get Saka back for like game of 10 and beyond because they have some pretty good home fixtures after that but that's pretty far into the future so we'll talk more about that in future podcasts Next up, we have the weekly wildcard draft, which is something that I do every week. I draft what I think is the best squad to have in FPL going forward in the next four to five game weeks. And this is what I've come up with this week. Uh, I have a lot of new names, a lot of big names dropping out. So which one of this, this is the first question I'm going to ask. Which one of the names that have dropped out since the last weekly wildcard draft do you think is the harshest? Like which one would you have kept out of all the red names you can see right next to you here? Obviously, I can go through the names as well. It's Saka, Sterling, Nicholas Jackson, Fernandez, Alvarez, Guardiol, and Jared Branthwaite. We have to mention him as well. You want my serious answer or the joking answer first? <laughs> joking answer first. I know what you're going to say. Branthwaite, you piece <laughs> of shit. Yeah, uh, no, but I have t- two. Uh, one. You can only say one. I know, but I'm going to no, say two. No, you're going to say one. No, fine. Sterling. Okay. Which seems yeah. like a wild one because 
I think the obvious one makes sense considering the fact that Argentina played in Bolivia and all this type of stuff. He and played 85 minutes as well in Bolivia. Yeah, so it's going to be a tough uh, go around to try and get him fit and all this type of stuff. Um, he also wasn't very good against Bolivia, um, but that could just say yeah. about Argentina playing away at in Bolivia in the first place. Of course, it took a messy free kick to win the game, the GOAT. Um but I think it's really harsh with Sterling, considering the fact that we've been singing his praises from the get-go. And uh, yeah, you know, against Bournemouth as well. How dare you? His favorite yeah. team to score against. I know. I'm keeping him in my own team as well. And like I always say in these weekly walker draft videos, picking midfielders is the toughest task of all. Because there's so many good midfielders to choose from. I really like Saka. I really like Sterling. I really like Fernandes as well. But they're all dropping out to make room for Son, Salah and Diaby. Uh, going forward so so yeah i think it's just really tough to choose midfielders it's just king emboemo and probably salah going forward as well i think he's going to be especially if you're wildcarding especially you're gonna need to get salah in around game week nine because he has such good fixtures from that point on it's going to be really tough to get him if you use your wildcard already and you don't have salah it's going to be really tough to get him in so i don't think he's a priority buy if you're not on a wildcard but if you're using your wildcard and you don't have the wildcard in Gaming 9 or Gaming 10, I think Salah kind of has to be there. So that's why he's included in the team as well. Uh, but yeah, so you said Sterling for which player was harsh to drop out. But which, I don't know, uh, which player do you feel the... Hmm, I don't know how to ask this question, but do you have any thoughts about the players coming in? So we have Son, Salah, Diaby, Morris, Cash, Archer, and Giles coming in. Do you have any thoughts about these guys in general, good or yeah. bad? Yeah, I mean, I like, obviously, Son. I like Madison. I like Diaby. Yeah, the silence should be just me. That's it. I don't like Cash at all. I don't. Yeah. I, like, yes. Okay. Like cash controversial. It, it is controversial because a lot of people are going to jump on the bandwagon because he is very good offensively, but mm-hmm. I just don't trust Aston Villa defensively. Okay. You know, with the Mings injury as well. And, you know, yes, I don't rate Mings as highly mm-hmm. as some other people do, um, but it's shown that he, he is actually considerably important for them and all yeah. this type of stuff. Um, and his, that's why... His, his... Strengths, I think, play really well into Asnil's weaknesses. So I think that's why he's kind of super important for Asnil. Even though he has a lot of deficiencies as a footballer, his greatest strengths, strengths being being a really good header of the ball, is something that they lack when he's not there. So, so yeah, I think that's why he's so important for them. And he's a big figure for them as well. Like You can't really go against yeah. that either. But yeah, go on with Cash. You don't yeah. like Matty Cash. Like I like Mighty Cash, I think, because he's he's sort of like the fun fullback to have. Like one game week he scores twice, the other game week he scores his own goal and all this type of stuff. So like for that reason, I think he's fun and he's relatively cheap. So I shouldn't be that harsh on him. I just don't yeah. think that uh, Villa are good enough uh, defensively. That that's been a worry. But of course, you know, like. Uh, who cares about that? The reason you have him is for the offensive traits, sure. But there are going to be times like when the Stupinion, who got no offensive returns, then didn't keep the clean sheet and all this type of stuff. So, you know, it's it's just... I personally prefer 
someone else, but I think it's a good... I mean, considering the fact that you have a stupid and a Dovi and Chilwell, it doesn't mean that Cash would play every single game and you play him in the favorable game, so fair enough. For that reason, sure. I don't rate Giles and Morris I'm cool with, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's just just for the double game week, yeah. really. They're going to yeah, just yeah, going to stay on the bench pretty much every game week, and then they have the double game week where potentially they could be really good. I think Giles is all. I think Giles was like one of the players because he was at with Wolverhampton before uh, when the game launched, and he was like the one that I was really hoping was going to be 4.0 because I knew he was going to take a lot of set pieces and get a lot of attacking involvements. He's had a lot of crosses for the first like three game weeks. I think he has like 30 crosses or something takes free kicks and stuff as well set pieces for uh, Luton so I think it's just like one of those guys who could go down in like FPL folklore as like one of those double game week heroes potentially so that's why I have him because I think he's yeah. just an interesting player so, so I guess but interesting to hear uh, your opposition to Cash because I'm kind of unsure about Cash as well like at some points I was just like yeah he has to be in there he's so offensive he's basically playing as a right winger Emery has said that he's playing him as a right winger and stuff as well but at the same time like I said, Aston Villa defensively haven't been the best. And the fact that Moreno is coming back now as well. He's back in training for Aston Villa. And if he starts playing on the left, I think Cash might be the one to drop down and Moreno being the one to push up. So, so Moreno might be the pick in the future if I'm going with a defensive player from Aston Villa. But especially seeing as they have tougher fixtures in the next two game weeks or the next three game weeks with Chelsea and Brighton. Maybe you should stay away from Cash. But that's also what I said. Like if we get news that Alvarez is starting against West Ham. You can easily downgrade cash to someone like Tavares or Kabore, for example, as well. And upgrade Carton Morris, for example, to Julian Alvarez, if you, if you want to do that, potentially. Or upgrade someone like Diaby to Saka or, or Sterling, potentially, uh, to get the money there as well. So you could play around, and especially if you have more money in the bank than, than, than the $100 million, which I've used to base this team on. Uh, you can do something different there, I guess. But, but yeah, that's the team in general. Any other comments before we move on, or do you think it's a good team, bad team? No, it's a good team. Uh, interesting with the solid Madison double. Yeah. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, fair enough. And if you want all the in-depth thoughts about all these players, I did that in the weekly locker draft video, which you can watch on this YouTube channel. I'll link it in the description as well. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for the weekly locker draft. So let's move on to the next game week, game week five, and let's look at your plans. You have 0.6 in the bank. You used your wildcard last game week, game week four. Now we're going into gimmick five and you have some interesting decisions to make. So the transfers you've mentioned for me is either just standing pat. This was what you said was most likely just sticking with your team, sticking with your guns and having the same team. You did mention potentially selling Sterling. You mentioned now that you would potentially keep him in the weekly walker draft. But you also said that you might move from him to a Spurs midfielder. And that would be Madison because you don't can't afford Sterling to Son. But if you really do want Son... You could sell Saka as well. We mentioned that Saka might be someone you, you could potentially sell uh, to get Son. So those are the three options you've listed for me. But is that what you're going with? What is your current thinking uh, after thinking about it and after talking in this podcast as well? Yeah. Um, and I can see... Son, yeah, yeah. Son, Son and Madison are... Um, they're looking more and more attractive every day. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is pissing me off that I don't have a 
Spurs asset in terms of midfield. Of course, I have a doggy. You have a doggy so. who's basically the mixture of Madison and Song put together, really. So, so yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I benched last week, so not going to do that again. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I have a real headache in terms of um, flecking and um, potentially going minus four to get rid of him. That's uh, no, cute. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. There are aspects to my team that I really like and aspects that I really hate. So, um, yeah, I might go minus four to get rid of Wissa as well. But I will give him the one <laughs> one more game because he got super lucky in the previous game. So, because um, that's the thing, right? Like, I don't want too many players that uh, play for the same team as well. So... You know, just branching out with Wissa and making him into Isak somehow, and maybe going Saka and Madison and Wissa for Isak would be like a fun way of doing things. I don't know if I have enough money for that, but if I do, swell. Um, so that's potentially something that I'd look into. I could just stamp hat and just do the transfers next week instead. Um, and that will, I'll have clearer uh, ideas of what needs to be done and etc. But uh, Generally speaking, pretty happy with the team. I think Bruno Fernandes is in good form. You know, I got slated for picking him over Rashford, but sort of like you said, Rashford against Arsenal, he always scores, and that's the only thing. And then I wouldn't have enough money to then transfer people out and etc. So I prefer this uh, setup. I think the team looks good, generally speaking. I just think that next week, will be more fun for my team as well because it's going to be some easier fixtures as well yeah i think personally you should potentially stand pat i think that would probably be what i'd do in your position as well uh i think you have a really good team you obviously just did your wild card so you should have a really good team as well and i think goalkeeper you don't really just set and forget really just stick with fleck in newcastle probably not going to keep a clean sheet but maybe he saves a penalty maybe wilson comes on and misses a penalty for once uh but yeah we'll see we'll see about that but the other question i want to ask you is about captaincy because you mentioned in previous game weeks and in game week two you actually went against holland as captain and went with salah as captain is that something you're thinking about this time around as well or are you just going to stick with holland as captain and no questions asked or is it potentially dependent on who you bring in would you captain a spurs player if you bring them in potentially like what's your captaincy yes. thinking yeah, I, if I bring in Son or Madison, it, it's like you said in the past, it's stupid for you to bring someone in if you're not going to captain them. So, uh, Or in, in if they're captain-worthy, it's, it's mm. stupid to... Or yeah, I, I, if you go mine... I think my, my thinking is, if you're selling someone like Sterling or Saka to get another player, then you should probably captain them. if like Because, yeah, you need really good reasons to sell Sterling or Saka. And mm-hmm. that reason would be to captain the player you bring in. So, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's my line of thinking. But yeah, go on with captaincy. Are you considering Holland or just just Holland or potentially someone else? I mean, it's the two players that I have. It's either Holland or Salah for me mm-hmm. uh, personally. Uh, Brighton are they're that X factor. Anything can happen, which is why I'm a bit too chicken shit to captain Bruno. <laughs> Uh, Holland has a good record against West Ham, generally speaking. So, of course, um, I'll ca- triple captain him just to ruin your life. Uh, Salah, on the other hand, has been consistent, but he hasn't exploded the way I know he can. Um, so, I think, sadly, 
even though it's super boring and even though if I had not in Holland last week that would have been a complete disaster <laughs> I'm gonna captain Holland yeah and we know also from Holland last season we started the season with two goals zero goals one goal three goals the fifth game was three goals again double hat-trick yeah. so yeah. so if he's keeping that pattern up he's going to score a hat-trick against West Ham which hopefully it doesn't because yeah I want West Ham to pull off the opposite upset there but I think like you I think Holland is probably the best captain's option I do kind of like the Spurs options because Sheffield United are just that bad really there is mm-hmm. a there is a universe where West Ham put up a really good fight against uh, against City and Spurs absolutely obliterate Sheffield United like they did Burnley so I sort of see this temptation every going with a captaincy for one of the Spurs players. I also said that I think Madison is sort of the better pick in this game week, but that's also why I'm sort of against captaining the Spurs players because I feel like Madison is sort of his ceiling isn't as high as Son, so that's why it's not as fun to captain him. I guess he could pull off like an 18 pointer. He did that last season against Nottingham Forest, I think. Uh, but yeah, I think Holland is just like the safest pick, so that's why I'm probably going to go with him myself. But I am considering Salah as well. And if I were to get bring in a Spurs midfielder, then maybe. But I think Holland is just the safe option, really. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's pretty much my thoughts uh, in regards to that. Let's move on to Kimo's potential transfers. And last game week, he brought in Jared Bowen, and he now he's looking to sell Jared Bowen because uh, he is really, uh, really wanting to get Hungman's on, obviously, because that's pretty much the talk of the town. And Kimo has more than enough. Like I said, he sold Salah for Bowen, so he has more than enough money in the bank to do pretty much anything that he wants. So. One of his projected transfers or potential transfers is Jared Bowen to Son, like I said. The other would be just to upgrade because this bench is pretty weak. So upgrading one of the bench players to someone like Isak, which is someone that Kimo has spoken about a lot, uh, really likes, who we all really like, obviously. You're Swedish. I've always been a massive fan of Isak, and, and Kimo's a big fan as well. Um, that's the other move he's thinking about, Mubama to Isak. So looking at those two potential transfers, what transfer is is the best one for you because obviously if he brings in Isak from Obama he can still bench Bowen and uh, and keep Bowen for the future game weeks as well yeah uh, I think um, the more pressing out of the two is obviously Isak uh, simply because he already has the one out of the two so I'd personally go with Isak out of Isak or Son uh, in that regards but um I wouldn't hate both. It'd be fun transfers. I think uh, it would be very against the grain to double up on, uh, you know, what everyone did in the beginning, where it was like, oh, Saka and Martinelli or Saka, which I did, for mm-hmm. example, and Saka Odegaard or Martinelli Odegaard. So it'd be fun to see someone doing that with Spurs, um, considering that they're flying. Um, but yeah, I think Asex is the more pressing one, considering the fact that they have the really good fixtures and because he already has Madison. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, but I think also, uh, if I was chemo, maybe just want to go like super like opposite or not opposite really, because both Madison and Son are really really interesting picks or players that people want to bring into the team. But maybe just go gung ho with Spurs and go with players that are not as highly owned currently. Isak is not that highly owned either, but just bank on Spurs, just destroying Sheffield United. Go for that result. That is tempting to me, but at the same time. I think Bowen, he doesn't have the best fixtures now. He has City now and then uh, Liverpool in, in the next game week. Uh, but pretty soon, West Ham will, will have pretty good fixtures. And I think Bowen will be a really good pick eventually. So I think settling Bowen, especially with the bench being as bad as it is, Bayer, Bayer who has a double game week in game week 7, to be fair. But 
Mubama doesn't play at all for West Ham. Baldock plays for Sheffield United. And then Bayer, who plays for Burnley, who can see it every time. And then Pickford as well. His bench is just not up to par. So I would probably prefer upgrading the bench rather than, than selling someone like Bowen. Especially seeing as he has so much money in the bank as well. Make use of the money in the bank, really. Um, so yeah, unless he really wants to captain Son, then then I pr- or yeah, unless he really wants to captain Son, I'd probably go with the striker upgrade. I'm not 100% sold on Isak personally myself, so I probably wouldn't bring in Isak myself just because of the Wilson Isak thing. I've always said I'm pretty much staying away from those guys until one of them gets injured, <laughs> then I'll buy the other one because they're just in the other person's way every single time. So but yeah, Isak has so much quality we know he's going to play most of the minutes at least for for newcastle so i don't hate the pick but, but yeah i think move on with isaac is is a fun move uh, you could go for but at the same time it is also tempting to go with double spurs and just back that as well so, so yeah so fun thing, things that Kimo can do to differentiate himself so that's what he likes to do as well i wouldn't put it past him to do like a minus four or minus eight or something because Kimo can do that from time to time which is also why it's kind of fun to to talk about his team Kimo, obviously, uh, he's not in on this podcast now because he doesn't have time to do the podcasts uh, all the time uh, this season, but he was one of the founding members of uh, the FPL Scope, so that's why we always talk about his team, and it's just fun to see what he's doing every week. So, so yeah, I always ask him what he's going to do. And uh, for captaincy, I think he's just going with Holland. It seems like maybe he captains on. That's, that's uh, the decision he has to do, uh, whether he brings in Son and whether he captains him. That's, uh, or captains Madison, for that matter. Uh, maybe it does that. I think he actually has Nick Jackson. I have the Sokka as vice captain here, but I think maybe Nick Jackson is one in the team that he sent me. I think Nick Jackson is actually the, the vice captain because he still really likes Jackson as well. But, but yeah, that's pretty much Kimo's team. And then the final team we're going to discuss is the manager of the week. The manager of the week for gimmick four was Justin Long, and that's why we're going to talk about his team. And it is very similar to my team. Uh, there's just one difference, really, and that's Bowen compared to... I have Sterling rather than Bowen. Other than that, it's pretty much the same starting eleven that I have this uh, this game week. And coincidentally, that's why I think potentially he should sell Bowen because he doesn't have as much money in the bank as Kimo does, and he has a better bench. He has Saliba on the bench who could potentially get a clean sheet against Everton. Um, so that's why I think with Bowen's tough fixtures coming up, I think you could get uh, a better team that way one of the transfers that i've uh, said to him is going bowen to sterling and have the exact same team as me uh but yeah at the same time i also really like diaby diaby was in the weekly wildcard draft which sterling was not i think diaby has really good fixtures i think like we said looked at at the start of this podcast as well with the talisman versus focal point thing when they play against the likes of brighton and stuff i think diaby can still be really good uh, i think they have brighton and let's go back to the fixture checker a little bit um Aston Villa, they have uh, Chelsea away, which could also be one of those games where you can hit them on the counter and score goals against uh, Chelsea and their high line. And they have uh, they have Brighton. So I think those games are really good for, for um, Diaby as well, even though they're tougher fixtures on paper. So yeah, I really like the look of Bowen to, uh, to Diaby, but I also obviously have Sterling in my own team, and I think Sterling can score against Bournemouth. So those are the two transfers that I'm uh, proposing for the manager of the week. But... Do you have any other suggestions? This is obviously a team with 0.6 in the bank, one free transfer. What would you look to do? There's also the, the thing of he has three city players, Foden, Holland, Alvarez. And like we said, Alvarez might be benched. So maybe you look for team news and see if you could bench uh, Alvarez and start Saliba. That's something that I'm looking into as well. But other than that, 
what are your thoughts about this team and uh, what you would do if you were in this position maybe you just stamp out as well who knows but what is your decision you could also actually if Alvarez starts you can do Saliba in for Bowen and have a fully fit team there, there as well so a lot of options I've talked way too long now uh, so Kevin give me your input on this team yeah I think it's uh, good to either stamp out and get the double transfer and just potentially either grow. I still think Bowen can score so yeah it's Could. not the worst hopefully um, worst shout but yeah if you're going to get in anyone uh, I'd say it'd be easier to get Sterling in over Diaby simply because you want Sterling against Bournemouth and if you want to switch down it's always easier to switch down um, mm. if Sterling gets a price increase and stuff like that so yeah um, I think yeah, both both transfers work. It's just a sense of feeling. Chelsea have good fixtures uh, going forward, so and Sterling's been the uh, focal point. So, uh, yeah, I think my preference is Sterling, but I mm-hmm. I know how good Diaby is. Uh, I wrote help write the reviews and stuff like that, and yeah, like he's quality. He's uh, currently a 99 player on my FIFA uh, Ultimate Team, which is completely dead considering FIFA or EA Sports FC 24 is coming out next week, so but Diaby's sick, so it's just a coin cost coin coin cost (laughs) coin toss literally, it's 50-50 go on feeling, I think both players are, both players have uh, have essentially won the eye test, it's just a question of which one you're feeling more Yeah, and that's the question I'll put out to the viewers as well which player would you choose, Diaby or Sterling? Please write down in the comments who you would prefer or any other comments about uh, this podcast in general or Deathfield Scoop in general or Kevin or Everton or whatever you want to talk about, really. Comment down below and uh, we'll be sure to answer as well. But yeah, if you want to be manager of the week, you, Kevin, you can, you could be manager of the week because you are part of the FPL Scoop Mini League. I can be the manager of the week. I think I was actually really close to being the manager of the week if I had just not done the minus four that I did. But let's talk about let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how you, the viewer, can get into this uh, manager of the week thing, which we do every week here on this podcast. And we basically pick out the manager that had the highest score from the past game week. So that could be you if you if you want to join our mini league. As you can see above me here, we have uh, the mini league code, which is V9JT0D. So if you join the mini league, you could be the manager of the week and be featured on the podcast as well. So with that, that is the whole podcast, really. And uh, as always, I leave Kevin with the final word. So uh, what do you have to say for the final word this time around, Kevin? You're not going to be happy with this. You're going to be like, oh, we might have to blurt that out. Fuck Ben Krellin, man. Or Brent Credin, as I'm going to be calling him, because I saw that tweet about Isak getting his rest because Sweden are, he's essentially alluding to the fact that Sweden were out of the Euros. So when England get out of the Euros, I'm going to tweet not any single other English person that I know, him, specifically him due to the tweet about Isak. Fuck you. Thank you for all the great stuff that you do for us. I love the fixture stuff. Don't get me wrong, but don't tweet about Sweden, especially after a loss that fucking stings fuck you thank you bye bye bye